Amen. Thank you, brother. Great job as always. For, before I get started tonight, I want to thank uh, two dear brothers that um, are behind the scenes working to make sure that uh, our live stream on Facebook is possible and our SoundCloud podcast is, is also possible. And that's Brother Scotty and Brother Nathan Chandler. And every time that I'm here um, to share the message, they're here to make sure the message goes out. I want to thank you, brothers, for your faithfulness and hard work at doing what you're doing. And we just praise God for you. And I also want to thank all of you that have tuned in tonight um, to our Wednesday night Bible study. Thank you for making the study of the Word of God a priority in your life. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says something that I love. Psalm 119 is a chapter that outlines the importance and the power of the Word of God. And in verse number 24 of Psalm 119, the psalmist tells us that his that the Word of God is his delight and his counsel. And I love that. Uh, if there's ever been a time that we need to delight in the Word of God and to be counseled by the Word of God, it's tonight. It's in the world that we live in today. And so I want to thank you for making the study of God's Word a priority in your life and joining us tonight for our Wednesday night Bible study. As most of you know, we are going through the book of Romans. That's what we do in our Wednesday night Bible study. We just take a book of the Bible and go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through it. And right now, we find ourselves in Romans chapter number 7. And if we, you were with us last week, you know that we looked at verses 1 through 14. And so tonight, I want to look at uh, verses 15 through 25 and finish up with Romans chapter 7, Lord willing, if we get that far. Before we look, though, at 15 through 25, I want to just kind of review just a little bit about what we've saw so far in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. We must lay that foundation so that the, the message tonight will really make sense to us all. We found out last week that the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had first of all shown us the authority of the law of God um, in Romans 7, 1 through 6. And then he talked to us about the ministry of the law. And so that happened in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. And what do we find out about the ministry of the law? What do we mean when we say the ministry of the law? To minister is to serve. And so when I'm talking about the ministry of the law, I'm talking about what purpose does the law serve? What did God mean for the law to do? And when I'm talking about the law, I'm talking about the Mosaic law that also includes um, the Ten Commandments. And so what was the law's purpose? What does God mean the law to do for each and every one of us? And he tells us plainly here three things when we talk about the ministry of the law in Romans chapter 7. In verse uh, number 9, first of all, he tells us that the law shows us our sinfulness. Let's look at that real quickly before we go any further. He says, for I was alive without the law once. Let me tell you what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there was a time when I thought everything was good before I realized and recognized the high standard of the law. He said, I was alive without the law once, but when the law, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I don't know if any of you have ever heard the old saying that ignorance is bliss, but I really think that goes along with what Paul is saying in Romans 7 and 9. I think what he's telling us is while he was ignorant of the law, while he was ignorant of the high standard of God, he thought everything was good. He thought he was good. He thought that uh, he was good with God and he was good with man. And let me tell you what I've come to find out in preaching the gospel, whether it be 
um, in, in a setting like this or one-on-one -on -one with the hardest thing to do when preaching the gospel is to get people to understand how much they need a Savior because everybody pretty much thinks they're good. That they look at themselves and think that, uh, that they're doing um, well according to their standard of right righteousness is or according to the standard of righteousness someone else has. I mean, look at the guy down the road and they say, I, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than him or I'm better than her. I may not be exactly right, but I'm not completely wrong. And so they think themselves to be good. I think that's where Paul is talking about here in Romans 7, 9. He said, while I was ignorant of the standard of God's law, then I, I was alive. I thought everything was fine. I thought things were right with God and things were right with the world. And that's where people without Jesus today still find themselves. They think they're pretty much okay. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you for just a moment. I, last November, I was going down with my family to Mobile, and we were planning on going on a cruise to Cozumel, Mexico. And so what I uh, had planned on doing was, was leaving out early from work on, uh, I think it was Friday evening. We were going to go down that Friday, spend the night in Mobile, and the next morning we'll get up and leave out on a cruise for five days. And so everybody was fired up. Everybody was excited. We was all ready to get down there. And we made the decision to go down um, Highway 45 in, 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 through Mississippi, from Columbus to Meridian on down to Mobile. And so we get over to Columbus, man, get on 45, and, man, we're clicking it down toward Meridian. Everything's going good. And me being an Alabama boy, I'm just assuming that the same um, speed limit on four lanes in Mississippi is the same in Alabama. And so, man, I, in Alabama, on a four lane like that, the speed limit is usually 70 or 75. And so that's what I'm doing all the way from Columbus down toward Meridian. And so we get down almost into Meridian, Mississippi on 45 South. And I whoop out to pass some cars that are traveling in the right lane. They're traveling a lot slower than I were, was. And so I whoop out to pass them. And the moment I get out in the left lane to pass them, I saw coming northbound toward me a Mississippi State Trooper. And when he got close to where I was, he flips his blue dot on, he slams on his brakes, and he starts crossing the median. So automatically I'm thinking, man, it's me. He's about to get me. And I was right. He pulls in behind me, still has his blue lights on, pulls me over to the side of the road, comes up to the car, to the driver's side there, and he says, man, do you know what the speed limit is on this road? And I said, well, man, I figured probably 70, 75 he said the speed limit on this road is 60 miles an hour. Now, I had not saw a, if I did see a sign or we passed a sign. I didn't pay attention to a sign from Columbus to Meridian. So I didn't realize that I was breaking the law until the law was made aware to me. Until I became aware of what the law was, then I began to see how short I had fallen uh, in keeping the law. And I, I think that's the point that Paul is making here. While he didn't know the law, ignorance was bliss. And folks, when I was driving from Columbus to Meridian, ignorance was bliss. I mean, I'm just doing whatever I thought was right. And I thought I, everything was right with the world until I became aware of the standard of the law. And then I saw I had broken it greatly. And it cost me. It cost me physically. And the truth is, it costs us spiritually because we have all Broken God's perfect law. The law shows us our sinfulness. It shows us how short we've fallen 
according to God's perfect standard. We have missed the mark. That's what sin actually means. We tried to do our best, but even at our best, we've still missed the mark. We've still fallen short of God's standard. When we begin to realize the standard of God's law, the high standard, then we begin to see God's holiness and our sinfulness. We begin to see God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. We begin to see our need for a Savior. We begin to see that in our, on our best day, we can't keep the high standard of God's perfect law. Now, let, let me give you a verse for that. It comes from the book of Galatians, chapter number 3. And listen to what the Bible says in, in verse number 24. It says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, I love this verse, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that the law teaches us, just as a schoolmaster would teach us, the law teaches us our need for a Savior. It teaches us we cannot keep God's law, we cannot meet God's high standard, not because the law is sinful, but because we are sinful. Not because the law is unperfect, but we are unperfect. When I take a look at God's perfect law, I see how short I've fallen of it. The law says thou shalt not lie. But there's not a person listening to me tonight who's ever kept that law. We've all told a lie. Whether it be a little bitty white one or a big old black one. We've all told a lie and broken God's Law. The, the law says that we should not commit adultery. And even though you may have never done that in, in the physical act, Jesus said the standard is so high that if you just look upon a person, whether it be a husband looking upon another woman or a wife looking upon another man with lust in your heart, it's just like committing the very act. That's how high God's standard is. God's standard is so high that it says hatred is considered murder in 1 John 3.15. And so when we begin seeing how holy and how high God's standard is, His law is, then we begin seeing how short we've fallen in keeping it. The law becomes our schoolmaster that shows us our need for a Savior, shows us our need to be justified by faith. And so the ministry of the law, first of all, shows us our sinfulness. But then the Bible says... Uh, the ministry of the law shows us our spiritual deadness. Everybody look with me at Romans chapter 7 verse number 11. The Bible says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, watch this now, and by it slew me. Paul says, When I became aware of the high holy standard of God's law, I began to see how spiritual dead I was. It slew me. Let me give you a verse for that again that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number 2. And uh, you don't have to turn there with me, but write this down. Go back and look at it later. It'll be a great quiet time lesson for you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, and you, he's speaking now to Christians. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, you hath he quickened who were dead. In trespasses and sins. Let me give you the definition of the word quickened. To be quickened means to be made alive. Alright? So let's read it like that. So Paul writing to Christians. He says, And you hath he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. The truth is, before Jesus, before I recognized my need for a Savior and placed my trust in Him for salvation, the Bible says I was spiritually dead. No matter how much of the law I kept. 
There was still a whole lot of it I had broken. And that made me a sinner. Deserving condemnation. Deserving of God's wrath. But the Bible says when I placed my trust in Jesus, he made me alive who was dead in trespasses and sins. Paul said the law showed him his spiritual dead. And I want to tell you something. If you're listening to me tonight and you've not yet trusted in Jesus, the Bible says you are still spiritually dead. But I've got some great news for you. If you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you can be born again. Your sin can be forgiven. You can be made alive in Christ. This is the message. This is the ministry of law. It shows us our sinfulness. It shows us our spiritual deadness. But then not only does it show us those things, it also shows us the sinfulness of sin. And that's very, very important, especially in the day that we live in. Romans chapter number 7, verse number 13. The last part of that verse says the commandment makes sin exceedingly sinful. The law shows us the sinfulness of sin, the wickedness of sin. Now, why is that needed today? Because today we try our best. Um, and when I'm talking about our best, I'm talking about mankind as a whole. We try everything we can do to justify and explain away sin. We, we want to make sin sound better than it actually is. Let me tell you why I say that. Because we want to justify and explain away our sin, we call abortion a choice. Instead of saying what it is, the murder of a child. Because we want to justify and explain away sin, we have what's called now a no-fault divorce. Let me tell you something. If you make the decision to break the commitment you've made with your husband or wife and the covenant you've made before the Lord in marriage, when you make the decision, it's somebody's fault. But because we don't want to recognize sin, we just say it's a no-fault divorce. I love what Dr. J. Vernon McGee said, he said he felt the no-fault divorce has done more harm in America than pretty much anything else he could name. And I, I agree with him. We also call addiction a disease. Now, whatever addiction that you might have, listen to me, folks. You have that addiction because you or I have made a choice to do whatever it is we're addicted to. That's not a disease. A disease is something you have no control over. But because we don't want to admit that it is by our own actions that we've caused that addiction, that dependence, we call it a disease to make ourselves feel better. Now what God's law does is show us God's high and holy standard and causes us to realize that sin is exceedingly sinful and we certainly need a Savior. It brings us to the place where we see our need for repentance to turn from our sin and turn to a holy God by faith in Jesus. This is the ministry of the law. Now we need to see that or we're not going to get a hold of the truth that's found in uh, 15 through 25. Alright? So let's look now Verses 15 through 25. I'm going to read that for you. And then we'll come back and unpack some of this. Listen to what it says. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do I not. But what I hate, that 
do I. Now he goes on to say, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is I no more that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will, take note of those two words. If you've got taken notes or you've got a pen or a highlighter, underline those two words there in your Bible. It says, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Now let's go on, verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Look what else. He says, verse 20, Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight, everybody take note of that. He says, I delight, underline that word, highlight that word, take note of it. It says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Everybody see that? Paul says, I got an inward man that delights in, that desires to do the will of God. Let's go on. He says then, verse 23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. Everybody take note of that word, warring. He says, there's a war on the inside of me. There's a struggle on the inside of me. It's warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he makes it very plain in verse number 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done. Thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, I'm thankful that your perfect law showed me once upon a time how much I needed you. I'm thankful that grace taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. I'm thankful tonight you've done for me what I could never do. And God, I'm praying that this evening you would show us exactly what your word is saying. Give us clarity. Lord, help me to preach truth clearly so that the hearer might receive exactly what you have for them. I pray that those who need to be convicted will be convicted. Those who need to be comforted will be comforted. And that your word would go out and do what it was meant to do. Lord, not by my power, for I can do nothing. But through your power, Holy Spirit, speak to me, speak through me. Fill me up, pour me out, and show us tonight the inability of the law to do what needs doing in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we saw the authority of the law in verses 1 through 6. We have saw the ministry of the law in verses 7 through 14. Tonight I want us to see the inability of the law in verses 15 through verse number 25. Alright? First of all, I want to make this statement to you. Listen. The law in and of itself cannot change you and the law in and of itself cannot change me it's impossible let me tell you why the bible says that let's look there in verse number 14 for we know that the law is spiritual but i am carnal it says the law is spiritual the law is characterized 
here in the Word of God in verse number 12. And the Bible said that the law is just, the law is holy, and the law is good. Now that's what the Bible is meaning in verse number 14 when it says the law is spiritual. The law is completely right in every way. The law is of the Spirit, for the law came from God who is Spirit. Amen. But then it says, sorry. But then it says something else. Watch. It says then here in uh, verse number 14 that I am carnal. And folks, you are carnal. Now, what does it mean to be carnal? The word carnal means sinful. The word carnal means fleshly. The word carnal means worldly. So the Bible says that the law is spiritual, but us in and of ourselves are sinful. So there's no way we are ever, ever going to be made right just by the law. It's not because the law is not perfect. It's not because the law is not powerful. It's because we cannot keep the law. So the law, the inability of it, is it cannot, in and of itself, it cannot change you. And anybody, anybody, listen to me now, who believes you can be made right with God just by keeping the law, you're misinformed. You're putting your eggs in the wrong basket. Let me tell you why I say that. A lot of people say, well, I tell you what, brothers, I'm just going to keep doing the best I can do and, and hope for the best, and I hope I make it to heaven. I had a, a Sunday school teacher years ago when I was a little bitty boy. She said something to me I'll never forget. She said that good little boys go to hell, and or good little boys go to heaven, and bad little boys go to hell. And so, listen, what she was actually saying is, it's by what you do, it's by you trying to stack up all of these good things and keeping uh, the letter of the law, that's what's going to make you right with God. Now listen to me, folks. That sounds really good, especially to fleshly ears, because we want salvation to be about us, what we do. We want salvation to be a work of the flesh. But the salvation is not a work of the flesh. It's not carnal. Salvation is a work of the Spirit of God. Salvation is receiving the gift God gives by faith. And God doing a work that only God can do in your heart and in your life. You're never going to be made right, justified before a holy God by works of the law. I don't care how many good works you do. Let me give you a verse. It comes from the book of James chapter number 3. Everybody look over here. James chapter 3. And look down for a moment at verse number. Excuse me. James chapter 2. Let's look at verse number 10. Watch what it says. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Does everybody see that? Now what a lot of people think is that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to, uh, God's going to have a whole list of all the things you've done right. And, and somehow all the things you've done right outweigh all the things you've done wrong that God's going to let you into his kingdom. Now, folks, that sounds really good, but that's not the way it's actually going to happen. Because the Bible says, no matter how many good things you do, if you offend just in one point, if you break just one law, guess what that makes you? It makes you a sinner. 
It makes, and because of your sin, that makes you separated from a holy God. Anybody who thinks they can make themselves right with God by keeping the law does not understand God's holiness. Just one sin makes you guilty, makes you under condemnation of sin, which is, which, which, listen to me, makes you, uh, uh, gives you, gives you no hope but a devil's hell. So what we need it's not trying to do more, but trusting in Jesus. That's the only way. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6 says that our righteousnesses, the good things we do, are like filthy rags when you put it up to God's standard. We cannot do enough to make ourselves right with God. The inability of the law is that the law in and of itself cannot change you. The only way you could be changed completely and made right with God by works of the law is if you kept all of it. And the truth is, nobody's kept all of it. Look with me what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Everybody turn over there with me. Matthew chapter 5. He says something here at verse number 48. He, he says to these people and to us, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. So the commandment of Jesus says, you've got to be perfect. You've got to keep not some of the law, but all the law. Every point of the law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but if you want to go a step further, even all the Mosaic law from uh, the, the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. He said, if you're going to go that route, you've got to keep all of it perfectly. Let me ask you something. Is anybody perfect? Is there anybody who's never told one little white lie? The Bible says that we should... Love the Lord our God and Him only should we serve. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've not served God wholeheartedly? The Bible says that we're to honor our father and mother. Has there ever been a time that you've not honored your father and mother? Well, if that's true, if you've broken the law, even in one point, according to the book of James, it's just like breaking all of it. So it's not that somehow your good's going to outweigh your bad. The truth is, if you've committed one sin, that's enough to send you to hell. You want to go a step further? Not only have you sinned in action, but you're sinners by nature. You came here born into sin because you was born of the seed of Adam. The Bible says you was born into sin. Take your Bibles. Go back with me to Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All have sinned. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that all of us have a papa. His name is Adam. And because Adam sinned and chose to disobey God, sin became a cancer that was passed down generation to generation to generation to generation all the way down to you and I so that anybody who's been born by the seed of man was born into sin. Spiritually dead. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by our own action. We've chosen to disobey God, even if it's in one point. We've broken God's law, which makes us sinners separated from a holy God. So the inability of the law is that the law in and of itself cannot change you. But what the law can do is show you your need for change. The inability of the law is that it cannot enable you to do good. It can't. 
but it can show you what good is. Now, Paul makes this point in verses 15 through 25. Now, I know that the, 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 the wording in the Old English of the, of the, of the King James Version, it, it kind of um, trips you up if you're not careful in these verses 15 through 25. But let me tell you what I found out in reading this. It seems to me that the writer has a problem with himself. Because there's three pronouns that are used from 15 through 25. 35 times he uses the pronoun I, me, or my. 35 times. That's telling me there's a problem or some problems with himself. Now the two problems that he outlines is that he cannot do the good he wants to do. And he does the evil he doesn't want to do. Now let me ask you something, child of God. Has that ever been evident in your life? You know what you want to do, but you're not doing it. And you know what you shouldn't do, but you find yourselves doing those things. What I want to call this tonight is the struggle of the saints. Because it's a struggle that we all go through. There's a war, according to Paul, in our members. There's a struggle going on. There's a tug of war. And if there's a tug of war, if there's a struggle, there has to be two parties. <laughs> now, so what's he saying? There, there's, there's a struggle in us because now as believers, we've got two natures. Do you know that? We've got the old nature of Adam and we've got the new nature of Christ. Now listen to me. Get a hold of this. He, he, does, he, he tells us about this new nature. And he, and he says that new nature is evident because now we have, he has a desire. Look with me here in, um, uh, where was we at? Look at verse number 18. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. He says, in this old, the flesh is what's described as how the Bible describes that sinful nature that all of us were born with, that carnal nature. He says, in my flesh and that old sinful nature dwells no good thing. It's not trying to please God. It don't want to please God. It wants to do its own thing and be a rebel. He says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. But then he says something else. For to will is present with me. He says, but I have a desire, a will within me, to perform that which is good, to do that which pleases God. Let me tell you how you know that you've truly been born again. Do you have a desire for the things of God? I mean, can you really say that? Let me tell you how you get a desire to do the things of God. Our desire is determined by our nature. And our nature is determined by who our Father is. There's, there's a, and that, that's not only true spiritually, but it's certainly true physically. There's an old country song that I used to love. It's called, uh, well, I still love it. It's a great song. It, it talks about, I'm seeing my Father in me. And that's how it ought to be. Y'all ever heard that? And, and I, I'm going to tell you something. As a father, physically speaking, I never saw as much of my Father in me till I became a father. And now, I see a whole lot of my father in me. 
Let me give you, for instance, let me give you an example. Here the other day, um, my kids were, during this quarantine, they were just about sick of, of, of sitting in the house and, and doing nothing. So it became, uh, there came a time when they was just, either they was running in, running out, running in, running out, and in the process of running in, running out, doing this, doing that, a lot of times they'd leave the door open. All right? And automatically, after I've seen them running in, running out, running in, running out, leaving the door open, I yelled out, shut the door. Were you born in a barn? Automatically, when I said that, my mind went back to when I was a kid. And I remember my father saying the same thing. And when I was a kid, I didn't understand it. I didn't, I didn't get what he was saying. But now that I'm a father and I've seen my kids doing the same thing, automatically that came out of my mouth without me even thinking about it. Why? Because nature is determined by who your father is. And who your father is, then it determines your desire. Now that not only is that true physically, but that's certainly true spiritually. If you remember, I told you last week, we spent time in John chapter number 8 because John chapter 8 is a very good foundational chapter for us to get a hold of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. It's great commentary on Romans chapter 7. Let me tell you why I say that. Flip back over with me to, to uh, John chapter number 8. And let's look down at verse number uh, 44. John chapter 8, let's just look at verse number 42. John eight forty two. Jesus says to some Jews who were listening to him there, he says, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, then ye would love me. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, if God were truly your father, then you would have the right nature and that nature would determine your desire and your desire would be to love me. Jesus said, you love me by doing what? Keeping my commandments. John 14, 16. The way we show our love for Jesus is by desiring to do what pleases him. But that desire comes from the nature we receive by being born again into God's family. Paternity, who your father is, determines nature and nature then determines your desire. Do you desire the things of God? Do you want to please God daily? Do you want to know His truth? Do you hunger for the Word of God? Are you desperate to be, um, uh, listen, to, to uh, be in the Spirit of God, to walk in the Spirit and please Him daily? You've got to ask yourself this question. Do you truly have a desire to please the Lord day by day in your life? And if you don't, it may be that you don't have, uh, you, you, don't, you don't know the Father. For fatherhood, who your father is, determines your nature. Nature determines your desire. And ultimately, your desire determines your direction. What you desire to do is then what you're going to want to do. Right? And what you want to do determines what you ultimately do habitually throughout your life as a process. As a pattern. So who your father is determines. Let's, let's write this down. I want you to get this.
So according to what Jesus said in John 8, 42, who your father is, determines your nature. Paul makes this clear in Romans 8.15. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Romans 8.15, man, this is a powerful verse. It says that... Um, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Bible says we now, as believers who've been born again by faith in Jesus, we have God as our heavenly Father. We've also been indwelled by His Spirit. We have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We now have a Daddy God. Listen, Jesus lives within us and the person of the Holy Spirit gives us that spirit nature and that spirit nature then gives us the desire or the will according to Romans 7, 18 to do what's pleasing unto the Lord. Now, Desire then determines direction and ultimately our direction determines our destiny. Do you see that? And what is our destiny? What, what, is our, what, is, what are we destined to be as people who've been born again into, into God's family, who has this new spirit nature? We're destined to become like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our destiny ultimately is to become more and more and more like Jesus. Now let me tell you something. Here's where Paul was having his problem. And here's where we have our problem. He's, he's, he knows who his father is. He knows he's trusted in the Lord. He knows he's been born again. He's the one who wrote Romans 8, 15, remember? So he knows he got the right nature because he's been born into God's family. That nature determines his desire. Now because he has the Spirit of God within him, he also wrote 1 Corinthians 3, 16. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Know ye not, ye are the temple of God. The temple is where God dwells. And so Paul is saying, God dwells in us. We have that spirit nature which then determines our desire. But the problem he's having, listen to me, is how to get from here to here. He's got the nature because he knows who his father is. He's got the desire because of the nature. But now listen, he's having a problem going in the right direction. Remember, he said, I'm not doing the things I want to do. And I find myself doing the things that I hate that I don't want to do. And that's our problem, isn't it? Certainly my problem from time to time. So let, let me give you another one. There needs to be, right here,
some discipline. I know that's terrible. That looks bad. I hope you get what I'm saying. There needs to be some discipline. We, we can have, we can know who our Father is when we're born again by faith in Jesus. We can then have that spirit nature given by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Because the spiritual nature, we can have the desire. But listen, if we don't have some discipline, we're never going to go in the direction that's pleasing unto the Lord that ultimately fulfills our destiny, which is to become like Jesus. There's got to be some discipline. Now that's certainly true physically, but I want to tell you something. That's absolutely true spiritually. Physically speaking, let's, let, if you start a new workout program, and let's just say you go to the gym and, and you work out tomorrow for three and a half hours. You say, man, I'm really fixed to get in there and get after it. I'm going to go do what needs to be done. And I'm going to be committed. And I'm going to work for three and a half hours today. And then you wait for another three months before you go back and work three and a half hours again. Is there really going to be any change physically? Are you going to better yourself? Is it going to get you to where you want to be? Physically speaking, is it going to uh, have any kind of, uh, just because you've got a desire to be somewhere physically, without discipline, it's not going to get you in the right direction is what I'm saying. There's got to be discipline where you daily go in and do the right thing so that you can be where you want to be. And the same is true spiritually speaking. We can have a desire to be like Christ. And we should, as people of God, have a desire to be like Christ. And we can know where our direction should be, what we should be doing. But if we don't have discipline daily, then listen to me, we'll never reach our, de our, 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 our destiny. We're never going to do it. And I think that's what Paul is talking about in verses 23, 24, and 25. Listen to what he says. He says, For I see another law in my members, Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's saying there's a tug of war going on on the inside of me. I know what I want to do. I've got that desire, but it's not changing my direction. And it wouldn't change in his direction. It don't change our direction, I think, because of discipline. So he clears it up in verse number 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, with, so then with the mind... Now, when he talks about mind, the word there is psyche. He's talking about your mind, your will, and your emotion. He's saying, with my mind, my will, and my emotion, I myself serve the law of God. Everybody say serve. Say it. Serve. 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 So what's he saying? There's some discipline there. It's not going to be once every now and then, but I'm now going to serve the Lord with my mind, will, and emotion daily. And listen, when I do that, that's going to put me in the right direction to fulfill my destiny. Are you getting this? But with the flesh, he says, I serve the law of sin. See, the truth is we still have this old fleshly nature. We struggle with it just like Paul struggled with it. But the answer for us overcoming and being what God wants us to be as believers who have that spiritual nature, who have that desire, is discipline 
to serve God daily. You tell me what your spiritual disciplines are. And I'll tell you what direction you're headed in. If you choose to daily be disciplined enough to spend time in prayer. If you choose daily as a child of God to be disciplined enough to spend time in the study of God's word. If you choose to spend time in services just like we're, we're, we're doing tonight. And you be disciplined in that. Over time, you're going to grow in your faith. You're going, to get in the, you're going to be on the right direction, which ultimately determines your destiny. But without discipline to serve God with your mind, will, and emotion, that's never going to happen. The inability of the law, it cannot change you. It cannot enable you to do what's pleasing unto the Lord. It can't. It cannot set you free. It can't. That only happens. That only happens as a believer. When we reckon ourselves dead to the flesh, to the old man. And we choose to discipline ourselves daily to walk in the spirit. So you need to get in the habit, and I need to get in the habit of being disciplined in holy things. Being disciplined in prayer, being disciplined in study of God's word. Being disciplined daily to spend time with the Lord so that we might serve with our mind, will, and emotion the law of God. We might do what he's told us to do by his power. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. I'm so thankful that you love us. I'm so thankful that you have done what's necessary, all that's necessary for us to be made right, for us to be justified. Lord Jesus, you've done the work of salvation. And now what we must do is trust in you. But Lord, I want to I ask you tonight for those who have trusted in you. Lord, show us what it means to live in a way that's pleasing unto you. Not by our power, but by yours. Show us what it means to reckon ourselves dead to the old man so that we might walk in the newness of life. Show us what it means to practice spiritual disciplines so that we might get in the, in the right direction to, that determines our destiny. Lord, show us through your truth what you want for each and every one of us. If there's those out there, Lord, who needs to be saved, I'm praying tonight you convict their heart. If they don't have that desire within them, that only happens by being born again into God's family, by him becoming your spiritual father. Lord, I'm asking you to make that real to them. And Lord, for those who have been born again, a lot of fire in us to be what you've saved us to be, to do what you've saved us to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and for your sake. Amen.